here. She died here in 1994. Her very brief Chinese Wikipedia article adds that her corpse was taken to New York for burial, though I have not found confirmation of this. Seeing the private seclusion of her quarters, I can't help but feel that maybe she would like the fact that we can't find out too much about her. All I can say is that I'm definitely in awe of the way she lived on her own terms, dressing however she wanted, living however she wanted, and unapologetically too, in an era when this was far from easy to do. Her little house happens to be right next to RTI's parking lot. And as I passed her home tonight, on my way home, I couldn't help but give a little salute to this remarkable woman, who built a Taipei legend and did it her way. Ladies and gentlemen, here's Shirley Lin with In the Spotlight. Welcome to In the Spotlight. I'm Shirley Lin. Alicia Chen is someone who was originally going to study industrial design as an excuse to be an exchange student to Spain. But then she met a person while there who works as a chef on a refugee boat. So she ended up going on the boat for three days with not having to pick up any stranded refugees, thank goodness, and reporting about it. She then asked around if any media outlet wanted her story, and that's how she has become a freelance reporter since then. Her focus is still mostly on refugees. Let's find out more from Alicia about this job she has come to love. What do you hope to do as you continue to report on refugees? I, I, I don't want to make a change, but definitely I don't think uh, <laughs> as big as I change the world. But I, it's just as now we have this conversation just to let more people know about refugees, not a group of people from particularly countries. They could happen to any one of us? Any, exactly. Any country, actually. Exactly. That's um, kind of scary. <laughs> I mean, that's scary, but I also make me feel like it's kind of, I would say that refugee status, like in this situation, you you can one day become a um, refugee, but like you, you will end this situation when you back to your country or you find a new home. Uh, you feel like safe and then feel protected in a place where you call home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's what I feel like. It's not fixed uh, in like specific groups of people. Um, that it's it's like like water like flowed. Yeah, it flowed. Uh-huh. And then um, so that's why I, I want to let more people know like there are many different sides to look into this these issues. So. We should all appreciate where we are in life right now. Mm, right? Yeah. We should be more grateful exactly. for, you know, um, how lucky we are or, you know, the kind of lives that we, we, we do have. Yeah. Sometimes I feel like uh, I have a sip of, of tea under the sun, you know, sitting uh, in a park. Even just like the like, simple things. Right, simple I things. Mean, yeah, like... That make me feel more appreciated of what right. I have. Yeah. Yeah. Don't try to desire too much stuff. You know, <laughs> just yeah. be happy that you can breathe or that you can write, like you said. You know, sit under the sun and have a sip of coffee or something like that. Yeah. 
do most of these refugees that you interviewed, they long to go back to their home country or they're willing to turn a new leaf and just be content where they are because some of them probably feel that they're better off being in a different country than their own home country, right? But yeah. most of them, do they long to go back to their home country? It varies and and also depends on the situations in their country. I met quite a lot of um, uh, Syrians and then uh, actually until now the world hasn't ended yet. But I know some of them would prefer to go back to, to their country. Uh, they would, still, even though it's war-torn? Um, and, and some major cities now that is livable, I won't say oh, okay. um, it's, it's safe or it's completely okay um, but some still feel like that's where they 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 from they yeah mm. and then they some of them still have a family, family there. living there um, but but not all of them can manage to go back um, mm-hmm. due to other reasons and so far I think I only I only knew one Syrian that uh, is back he's back oh, um, really? to uh, to to his hometown with his family, and then he might get married soon. But I think he will probably leave <laughs> the country um, to Jordan or to Europe. I think uh-huh. he went back just to get married. He he worked there during uh, during the war. Yeah, oh, okay. so he was there working as an architect, and he met a girl. He met his true love, mm. and then so he wanted to marry. Uh, you know, he wanted to marry her. Uh-huh. So uh, they were engaged, and then they were trying to think where they can go afterward. So it's not like completely uh, impossible uh, mm. to go back. Okay. Actually, some of them, they go back and then leave again. Mm. Yeah. So like in major cities like Damascus, at Aleppo's, and some areas, uh, like um, people are rebuilding their city. Okay. While the other parts of the countries are still in the war. Oh. <laughs> Wow, yeah, this is kind of hard to imagine. Yeah. Um, trying to trying to picture what that is like. So you've interviewed refugees from Syria. What other nationalities of refugees have you, or um, actually the yeah. cities, the countries mm-hmm. that you've visited? You yeah. pretty much were there yeah. to do a report on refugees, like Lebanon. Yeah, and where else have you been? Um, um, in Malta, in oh right, Malta, Spain, UK, and uh, in Cambodia. It was all to cover on refugee issues. Not all of them. Um, actually, that it's uh, related to social issues, uh, human rights issues. And um, as long as uh, the story interests me or uh, I think that I care about and I would like to report mm. that. But most of them are uh, related to refugee issues or forced migration. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Apparently, you also cover international news stories to bring back to Taiwan mm-hmm. because Taiwan, in some ways, we have very limited access to international news. A lot of news TV stations cover mostly local news. Mm-hmm. Even if they do international news, it's just very a couple of minutes and then it's back to local news, you know? Yeah. But... Um, Actually, you do news articles both ways, like, you know, for other countries to understand Taiwan, but also for Taiwan to understand the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And how do you decide on what topics to cover? Well, besides refugee issues, that's a very specific topic. Yeah. What have you seen most international medias want to know about Taiwan? 
Besides the fact that we're doing very well containing the COVID pandemic. <laughs> Besides that, I think that, as I said,、um, you know, when I encountered、uh, stories that I'm interesting, I'm care, I care about, I would like to cover that. And、oh, so, any what other topics besides and, and refugees? So,、um, like migrant workers in Taiwan, I'm、oh, also quite、too. interested in that.、Uh-huh. And then also um, um, like human rights issues, gender issues, and I also touch a bit,、uh-huh. um, not a lot, but、uh, I do cover.、Uh-huh. And then also、um, recently, because.、Um, Like Taiwan's more visible and international media outlets,、uh, they are more interesting than like politics.、Uh, you mean like, Taiwan's more interested in politics? No, no, or, in、uh, international yeah, uh, other countries. In, interesting in, in Taiwan's politics, in Taiwan's <laughs> politics or、uh, cross-strait relations. And but I think I would like、yeah. like to highlight as I、uh, like more and more international media outlets interesting in LGBT issues in Taiwan,、mm-hmm. uh, especially after、uh, 2019, Taiwan passed uh, like uh, same-sex marriage. Yeah,、exactly. yeah. So I think that is also. Something that they are quite interested in,、mm. and in Taiwan, because、uh, like two that country, like really promote、uh, our values and democracy and、sure. uh, human rights. Yeah.、Um, so something related to that, and then some media outlets are like kind of、um, mm. you know a bit interesting in. You're listening to In the Spotlight with Shirley Lin. You know, I'm always very wary. If I were,、um, you know, a reporter reporting on politics,、mm-hmm. I'm always worried about, you know, oh, what if I don't get the information right?、Mm-hmm. What if I got some wrong information? What if I didn't, you know, didn't uh, uh, verify this or something like that? Yeah. So I try to stay away from those kind of stories, you know, <laughs> because people can get back to you and say you're wrong. Yeah. How do you go about finding, I mean, correct information? What's the word? Yeah, <laughs> accurate. Yeah, accurate. Yeah, accuracy. Yeah, how yeah. do you how do you go about the, doing that? Because、yeah. from a couple of reports that I read that、mm-hmm. you wrote、mm-hmm. about migrant workers and all、mm-hmm. that, I can tell that you did a lot of research、mm-hmm. and that you confirmed your information before you wrote it in,、mm-hmm. right? So I mean, how do you go about doing that? It actually takes a lot of time to do that, and then I would say that not all the time that we can. Um, clarified all the informations that we、um, we we get. Yeah.、Um, so I think one thing is that just try our best to、uh, to get、um, more information, the more evidence. For example, if I talk to my interviewee and then he or she share、uh, the story, I would say, do you have photos? Do you have more evidence? Do you have some documents that you can show me?、Uh, and then if Like something that we can't really、um, uh, confront through doing online research, we can, for example, like talk to more people and to especially those who don't know each other,、mm. <laughs> and then so we can ask and have you heard about this, and then、um, you have more information about this、uh, this case. And that's the how the way that we try to to clarify the information. But another things I would like to say is that. Uh, as a reporter,、uh, and we also have the deadlines all the time. So I think so. One thing that's important is that not to overinterpret the information we get. So、oh, try、okay. to be as honest as honest as possible, <laughs> and what we have. For example, today I was like interview this 
a lady, right? And, and she told me the story. I would say according to her, or right. she said, blah blah blah. Right. And so at this, I let the audience know that this is what she said. Right. And I, it's important that reader understand that some informations that they can fully trust, but mm-hmm. some that they also have to be aware that this is. The narrative is according to this person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think that helps. Has anybody accused you of <laughs> wrong information? <laughs> <laughs> Some errors, but I won't say wrong information. Means uh, like um, what? Use the wrong word? You mean? <laughs> not really use the wrong word. Just like <laughs>、um, yeah, but it, just but it was some st-、uh, small mistakes.、Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah.、Uh, but it was never because of wrong information. I get it. Yeah. No, you're, you're pretty. Cautious.、Um, okay. I, I sometimes like during of that I reported some wrong information, and then that was like a nightmare for me because I was like always very cautious about it and know、uh-huh. how、um, how serious and how like how dangerous it could be if、yeah. I I made wrong information. Right.、Um, so have to be as cautious as possible. I know. <laughs> the other thing is numbers. You know, getting getting the numbers wrong. You yeah. Know, that can that can be. That can be crucial. Yeah, yeah. But I, I mean, those like, things that I, I'm yeah, afraid of. Yeah, exactly.、Um, it's really hard to know that what number,、uh, what data that we get is、um, correct, accurate. Because,、uh, for example, if we say this, this data is um, as um, according to the World Bank or the UNICEF or UNHCR, the same thing just、uh, it's an、um, A query number. <laughs> oh, yeah. But I mean, of course, it's、um, just I, 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 what I can do is just uh, uh, do my best to、mm-hmm. to to tell the readers that how they do this research. Yeah. Well, usually, the bigger the organization is, the more global the organization is. We、yeah. trust their numbers. You know. Yeah. That's in general. That's how we look at things, right? Yeah. 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 Will you ever? In danger, risk to your life. I won't say that I was really in danger because、uh, I was I was not in the war zone or you know, <laughs> and next door to it. it. Yeah, <laughs> but I remember、uh, once I was in Lebanon and、mm. I visited one refugee camps in, in the north in the morning, and it was a, a clean and a small refugee camp, and then people are like slightly happier than those who live in others,、mm-hmm. and so we have a great. There and interview a couple of people, and、uh, afterward I get back to、um, to the city.、Uh, in that evening, my friend、uh, sent me the link of a video. Can hear gunshot or clash or、uh, blast.、Mm-hmm. I was like, "What's going on?" <laughs>、mm-hmm. And、uh, there's a clash,、um, elementary clash,、uh, in the place where I visited in the morning. Oh wow!、Yeah. But I didn't feel like you know.、Um, Afraid because、uh, I was not there. <laughs> True, so, but to think that I was just there this morning. Yeah, I then, was exactly. And, the, and then hours later, you know, the whole thing changed. Yeah, that that can be scary. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Thank you. I know so it's much. not easy, but、um, yeah, but it's really great talking to you. Yeah,、and、it's my pleasure too. Okay, we'll keep it up. We'll see how one small person can make a big change in the world. <laughs>、okay. We have to believe that, right? Yeah, definitely. I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So just think that you're not the only person who really cares. Exactly. There is、yeah. a lot more people and doing the same thing, and、mm-hmm. maybe doing more or、yeah. seeing what you're doing. Yeah. 
Okay, great. great. Thank you, Alicia. Thank you Thank so you much. Thank you for sharing. Thank okay. you so much. All right. Bye. Bye. Welcome to Classic Shorts. I'm Natalie. So, it's spring, the time of year when birds are chirping and flowers are blooming. Let's see what one of the great poets of the Tang Dynasty, Du Fu, had to write about this time of year. This is his poem called A Guest Arrives. South of my hut, north of my hut, all is spring water. A flock of gulls is all I see come each day. The floral path has never been swept for a guest. Today, for the first time, the rough gate opens for the gentleman. Far from the market, my food has little taste. My poor home can offer only stale and cloudy wine. Consent to have a drink with my elderly neighbor. At the fence, I'll call him. Then we'll finish it off. The poem about a guest arriving in springtime was probably written in 760 after Dufu had moved into his famous thatched hut. And the guest was probably his uncle, Prefect Cui. Now, Du Fu, one of the most famous poets of the Tang Dynasty, also wrote about a spring night. This work is called Spring Night in the Left Office. Flowers in shadow, palace wall at dusk. Chirping birds are flying back to roost. Stars move above the 10,000 doors. The moon is big, nearing the nine heavens. Not sleeping, I hear a golden key. In the wind, I think there are jade pendants. Tomorrow morning, I have to present a memorial. Again and again, I ask about the night. poets throughout the world have written about their sentiments during springtime. And today, let's 
take a look at what the English poet William Woodworth wrote in his work Lines Written in Early Spring. a thousand blended notes while in a grove I sate reclined in that sweet mood when pleasant thoughts bring sad thoughts to the mind to her fair works did nature link the human soul that through me ran and much it grieved my heart to think what man has made of man Through primrose tufts in that green bower, the periwinkle trailed its wreaths, and tis my faith that every flower enjoy the air it breathes. The birds around me hopped and played, their thoughts I cannot measure, but the least emotion which they made is seemed a thrill of pleasure. The budding twigs spread out their fan to catch the breezy air. And I must think, do all I can, that there was pleasure there. If this belief from heaven be sent, if such be nature's holy plan, have I not reason to lament what man has made of man? Those are some thoughts from this time of year, from great poets in the East and the West. Thanks for tuning in to Classic Shorts. I'm Natalie So. to News Playlist. We've queued up some of the most interesting reports for you, brought to you by Radio Taiwan International. Welcome to News Playlist. I'm Paula Chow, the program host. The arrival of an unofficial U.S. delegation in Taiwan has angered China. But why the mood in Beijing may be sour? It was laughs and jokes all around in the presidential office. President Tsai Ing-wen bumps elbows with her three guests. They're part of an unofficial delegation sent by America's Joe Biden. 
Tsai says that Biden said he wanted to strengthen ties with Taiwan before coming to office, and now he's following through with that promise. Former Senator Chris Dodd joined the House of Representatives in 1975 before becoming a senator in 1981. In 2008, both he and Joe Biden ran to be the Democrats' presidential candidate. Former Deputy Secretary of State Richard Armitage is perhaps best known for kissing President Tsai Ing-wen during a visit in 2019. Also joining the delegation was former Deputy Secretary of State James Steinberg. China has poured scorn on the unofficial visit, calling it an act of deception. Foreign Ministry spokesperson Joanne O oh responded in kind. She says China claiming sovereignty over Taiwan is a case of Beijing believing its own lies. She calls the idea preposterous and absurd. Stash Butler, RTI News. Taiwanese people love drink shops where orders are freshly made. But the amount of plastic lids these shops go through each day bothers one university student in Taiwan. She's come up with a solution using the Japanese art form origami and has even won an award for her invention. Lin Yixuan is a junior at the Chaoyang University of Technology in Taizong and won an award for her design of a paper cup that takes away the need for a plastic lid. She named the invention the twist container, which incorporates an origami folding technique to create the lid for the one-piece design. The top part of the cup can be folded down to seal the cup with an opening for a straw. Lin said she works part-time at a bubble tea shop and was appalled at the amount of plastic lids being used every day. She shared how her design can be expanded to include other containers, such as one which holds a drink on the bottom, and the top part can be folded to hold popcorn with a hole in the middle for the straw that lets you take sips from the cup on the bottom. It becomes a great convenience at the movies. Lin took first place at the 2021 Caring for the Environment Design Competition, organized by Taiwan's EPA for her design. She will be flying to Denmark to attend the Index Project Foundation's Index Award Competition with her invention. Shirley Lin, RTI News. Global banking giant Citigroup says, it is withdrawing from consumer banking in 13 countries, and Taiwan is on the list. Running a global cash concentration pool is a, it's a move that's caught everyone by surprise. 50 years after coming to Taiwan, Citibank's parent company, Citigroup, says it's leaving the country. Finance expert Bao Kemong says the arrival of payment services like Line Pay has tipped the balance, making providing credit services more expensive for Citibank. That's why it's calling it quits. Citibank is Taiwan's sixth-largest card-issuing bank, with over 2.8 million customers. So the bank's exit will have a serious impact. Aside from issuing credit cards, the bank also offers wealth management, loans, branch deposits, safety deposit boxes, and ATM services. Taiwan might hang on to a single Citibank branch, focusing exclusively on corporate finance. Banking Bureau Vice Director Lin Zidi says Citigroup has to protect customers' and employees' rights. For now, Citigroup hasn't set a date for its withdrawal from the market. It says consumer financial services will continue working as usual. There'll be no immediate impact on employees either, and Citigroup says it will safeguard customers' rights. Singapore-based DBS Bank says it is open to the idea of taking over Citibank's Taiwan business. Stash Butler, RTI News.
This is News Playlist, a weekly rundown of some of the most interesting news reports brought to you by RTI. Watch along on YouTube if you like, or close your eyes and enjoy these stories by way of sound. As Taiwan expands the list of people eligible for vaccination against COVID-19, a stream of high-profile officials have got the jab to show the public how it's done. Don't worry, this won't hurt a bit. Taoyuan Mayor Zheng Wenchan rolls up his sleeve to get the AstraZeneca COVID-19 vaccine early on Monday morning. It comes as authorities expand eligibility for vaccination. Zheng says he got the jab to raise public confidence in the vaccine. He says he wants to show that it's safe and effective. Central Epidemic Command Center officials Chen Zongyan and Loi Jun also got vaccinated on Monday. Law says that the AstraZeneca jab is only half the volume of a flu vaccine dose. That means that it's less painful. He says he feels perfectly fine after getting the shot. Law suffers from diabetes, so he made sure to check his blood sugar beforehand. Right now, Taiwan has over 300,000 vaccine doses. From Monday, groups 2 and 3 on the priority list can get vaccinated. That includes pandemic prevention officials and people in high-risk professions, like pilots. That's about 125,000 more people than before. One pilot says he hopes authorities can ease quarantine requirements for people who've got the vaccine. He says a year of restricted travel and quarantine has had serious mental and physical effects. He hopes authorities can adjust the rules so vaccinated people can live more normal lives. Meanwhile, with about 200,000 doses set to expire at the end of May, officials are considering letting people pay to get them. They say that could happen by late April. Stash Butler, RTI News. Taiwan is setting its sights on 19-year-old Eddie Wong, the world junior record holder in the 200-meter butterfly. 19-year-old Eddie Wong will compete for Taiwan in the Tokyo Olympics, which is just 100 days away. Last year, he broke the world junior record for the 200-meter butterfly with a time of 1 minute 50.79 seconds at the International Swimming League in Budapest, Hungary. Is he nervous? Wang says that actually he's not under a lot of pressure. In fact, the closer he gets to the race, the more excited he is. It's his first Olympics, so he just wants to give his best. His coach, Li Tengfeng, says there are three to four trainers beside him, helping him as he trains. They watch how his body is reacting and recovering while analyzing his progress. Wang also has to do special core exercises, the trainer's core. Wang says that the trainers emphasize strengthening the four limbs, but especially the core. He says he does 30 minutes of core strengthening exercises before he begins to swim. When the Tokyo Olympics begins on July 23rd, Eddie Wang will be the one to watch. Natalie So, RTN News. Parkinson's disease is a nervous system disorder that not only inflicts the elderly. It also appears in the middle-aged, and the numbers for younger patients are growing. In Taiwan, about 40,000 people have been diagnosed with Parkinson's, most of them between 50 and 60 years old. But Taipei Medical University says there are patients under 52. To mark World Parkinson's Day on April 11th, a patient surnamed Zhang shared his experience. It's a celebration for Mr. Zhang and his attending physician. 59-year-old Mr. Zhang was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease when he was 40. That was a heavy blow to him. Zhang said, 
he wasn't able to walk steadily or even stand still for five minutes. He even needed an ambulance to take him home. Before Zhang had a surgery called the deep brain stimulation, he had to rely on others' help when he walked. But now with a neurostimulator chip implanted into his brain, he's able to lead a normal life. Taipei Medical University professor Ye Duxue said Parkinson's disease is most likely to hit people in their mid-50s, though he has seen more younger patients recently. The exact cause for Parkinson's disease is unknown, though there are links to genetic and environmental factors. And that's all we have for this week's edition of News Playlist. For Radio Taiwan International, I'm Paula Chow. Bye-bye. Since 1994, Biden's move to ease the restriction on diplomatic exchanges between Taiwan and the United States uh, has been the second largest change. Uh, in 1994, then Assistant Secretary Winston Lord announced uh, U.S. policy adjustment toward Taiwan. Hello and welcome to this week's On the Line brought to you by Radio Taiwan International. I'm Carlson Wong. The Biden administration has planned to ease restrictions on diplomatic changes between Taiwan and the U.S. And Professor Edward Asian Chen, a professor emeritus of Temkang University at the Department of Diplomacy and International Relations, said it is the second largest change in the area of diplomatic relations between Taiwan and the U.S. since 1994. In 1994, changes made include the change of the title CCNAA or Coordination Council of North American Affairs to TECRO or Taiwan Economic and Cultural Representative Office. And Taiwanese officials could pay a visit to federal buildings to discuss important issues. Professor Chen, the Biden administration has planned to ease restrictions on diplomatic exchanges between Taiwan and the U.S. Now, first of all, tell us the significance of the move by the U.S. government. I think uh, since uh, 1994, Biden's move to ease the restriction on diplomatic exchanges between Taiwan and the United States uh, has been the second largest change on U.S.-Taiwan relations. Uh, in 1994, then Assistant Secretary Winston Lord announced that, that uh, U.S. policy uh, uh, adjustment toward Taiwan, uh, making some important changes on U.S.-Taiwan policy, uh, including CCNAA was changed to TECRO, and, and, and uh, exchanges between U.S. and Taiwan, uh, including... Uh, uh, Taiwan's official could pay visit to U.S. federal buildings to discuss with U.S. officials and some other changes. And so you said this is the biggest, the second biggest the second change biggest, yeah. after 1994. Right. And uh, this move uh, 
send a message to both sides of Taiwan Strait, uh, showing that the U.S. is taking sides with uh, Taiwan. Uh, if Taiwan is attacked, and warning China uh, not to take uh, uh, coercive uh, actions against Taiwan. But Professor Chen, this time Beijing doesn't seem to be so much mm. agitated or angered by the move. Why do you think so? Uh, first, I think uh, President Biden simply made them public uh, through DOS statement because uh, most of the changes were put into practice during the Trump administration and the previous administration. Uh, Biden uh, simply made them public uh, through DOS uh, statement. Well, last but not least is that uh, the U.S. has uh, disclosed uh, that it will abide by one China policy. So China well, was not uh, so much angered by this move. But how does the move uh, by the U.S. affect Taiwan's position in the international community? For, for example, we know recently Taiwan's mm. representative to Japan was invited by the U.S., ambassador's residence in Japan, and the meeting was made public. Uh, yes, uh, uh, such a move uh, could uh, tell the rest of the world that uh, U.S.-Taiwan relations has been upgraded, and uh, uh, U.S. Uh, is extending its uh, assistance uh, to Taiwan uh, in, in terms of uh, diplomatic uh, breakthrough. And also, it is the first time since the U.S. and Taiwan severed diplomatic ties in 1979 that mm. the U.S. ambassador to Palau visited Taiwan with the president of Palau in late March. Now, could you tell us how the shift of the diplomatic concept in the U.S. administration? Okay, in, uh, in terms of uh, U.S. ambassador to Palau uh, accommodated Palau's president to Taiwan, it uh, demonstrated to the rest of the world that uh, not only U.S.-Taiwan relations have been importantly improved, but also there has existed some special relationship among uh, Taiwan, Palau, and the United States in terms of uh, Coast Guard uh, cooperation. And the visit of the U.S. ambassador to Palau uh, I mean, the, the visit of the uh, U.S. ambassador to Palau to Taiwan definitely was approved by the U.S. State Department. Would you agree? Uh, of course. It, uh, such a uh, move uh, was uh, previously approved by the State Department. And uh, US, the United States uh, is more than willing to see such a development. And also the meeting of the U.S. ambassador with uh, Taiwanese representative in uh, U.S. ambassador's Japanese residence was also approved by the U.S. State Department course, as well. all these uh, moves uh, must be approved previously. Otherwise, uh, uh, the U U.S. ambassadors uh, uh, send to other countries. Uh, they are not uh, uh, to meet to have a meeting with Taiwan's representative or ambassador. Mm -hmm. So for many years, we know that uh, there has been a Taiwan representative in each country in the world. And uh, for many years, there has been a U.S. ambassador in each country in the world. And any U.S. ambassador uh, would not even dare to meet a Taiwanese representative in the respective country. Not until recently, the meeting in Japan and also the visit of the U.S. ambassador to Palau to Taiwan. Uh, before that, I think uh, U.S. officials uh, uh, were sent to 
uh, South Pacific Island to meet uh, uh, then uh, Taiwan's uh, Deputy uh, Minister of Foreign Affairs uh, to talk about uh, uh, their cooperation in the South Pacific uh, Islands. And uh, also we have some uh, uh, individual breakthroughs, diplomatic breakthroughs uh, between Taiwan and the U.S. officials. But uh, it's, not, it's not, not, a form, not a formal uh, statement made by the EOS uh, to make them public. You're listening to Unaligned, brought to you by Radio Taiwan International. I'm Carlson Wong, and today I'm speaking with Professor Edward Yixin Chen. Professor Chen is a professor emeritus of Temkang University at the Department of Diplomacy and International Relations. Would you also say that this is an upgrade in a U.S.-Taiwan uh, relationship, especially you know when a representative in uh, posted in a foreign country can now have a chance to meet the U.S. ambassador posted in that country? Previously, maybe when I, I, I say that there may be some individual diplomatic breakthroughs uh, in in some countries, but not it's not a, a former uh, permission. To, to allow U.S. ambassadors in other countries to meet our representative, our ambassador there. Now, previously, we know the U.S. State Department officials were not allowed to refer Taiwan as a country. But on March 10th, at the U.S. House Affairs Committee hearing on Biden's foreign policy agenda, U.S. State Secretary Anthony Blinken described Taiwan as a country. Now, was that a slip of the tongue? Uh, actually, uh, in the past, uh, I think uh, it uh, has been a common practice that uh, when the U.S. is satisfied with uh, Taiwan's uh, performance, uh, then uh, U.S. officials will call Taiwan uh, a country uh, or a government. But uh, uh, the United States is not satisfied with Taiwan's performance. Then it will not uh, call Taiwan a country or government. For example, in uh, I think in 20... Uh, 2004, uh, Secretary of State uh, Powell called uh, Taiwan uh, not a government uh, because uh, President Chen Zhibian challenged the U.S. Uh, policy to push for a close trade uh, talks. Now, in early 2021, for the first time this year, Taiwan mentioned the presence of a U.S. aircraft in the southwestern part of Taiwan's defense zone since the incursion of Chinese aircraft in September 2020. Why, Professor Chen? Uh, I think uh, the Chai administration uh, simply tried to tell uh, Taiwan people that uh, the U.S. Uh, is supporting Taiwan. Uh, secondly, I think that the presence of a U.S. aircraft or a U.S. vessel is always important to Taiwan. And uh, last but not least, uh, Taiwan intentionally told the rest of the world that China, and China in particular, that uh, the uh, U.S. is supporting Taiwan. Professor Chen, the incursion of Chinese aircraft in September 2020 has been going on until today as we mm-hmm. speak. And every day there is around 20 aircraft uh, that fly uh, to Taiwan. Do you think this is, uh, what kind of signal do they want to send to Taiwan? First, uh, I think uh, China uh, is uh, dispatching uh, its uh, airplanes uh, to the southeast uh, east part of Taiwan. Southwest is part of Taiwan, and uh, to to show the the United States that uh, 
both the uh, USA and Taiwan should not uh, uh, go across the red line. And uh, secondly, I think uh, China is uh, taking up such opportunity to uh, to have uh, minter drills so that uh, someday it, when it uh, is, is well prepared, it will attack Taiwan. Of course, uh, they, they must solve the problem of uh, their uh, policy uh, contradiction with the United States first. But in the past, uh, the PRC government would also put into consideration the morale of the people of Taiwan versus the incursion of the Chinese aircraft. But right now, since 2020 September, it seems that they have continued to uh, send aircraft to the uh, to, to Taiwan. So, do they still actually care about the sentiments of the Taiwanese people? Because uh, Taiwan now is uh, lured by the, the DVP uh, government, so they do not care too much about uh, the sentiment of the Taiwan people. Uh, if uh, the KMT lures the country, lures Taiwan, then it, it may take uh, more cautious uh, or deliberate uh, actions uh, toward Taiwan because uh, China does not want to hurt the sentiment or feeling of Taiwan people. But uh, now, since uh, the DPP government is uh, uh, hostile to, to Beijing so that uh, the Chinese Communist government does not care too much about the Taiwan people. Mm-hmm. Professor Chen, um, can you tell us Taiwan's security role right now in the U.S. Indo-Pacific strategy? I think uh, first, uh, I think uh, uh, Taiwan could help the United States to promote uh, the democratization uh, movement in the in in the Indo-Pacific region. And the second, Taiwan could help the United States to safeguard free, open Indo-Pacific navigation or passage in the in the region. And the third, Taiwan could resist China for a couple of weeks. Once Taiwan is attacked by China, then to help the United States, that's helping the United States to protect the first island chain in the western. Pacific. It seems the U.S. is exerting more power in the Indo-Pacific region, starting uh, Japanese-U.S. military mm-hmm. exercise for the Senkaku defense, U.S.-Korea exercise, military exercise in Malaysia in March, U.S.-India military exercise across the border, U.S.-Philippine two-week joint military drill in April. Now, what signal does the U.S. hope to send to China? Uh, first, I think the United States uh, is trying to to uh, send a signal to China uh, that uh, the U.S. is deter- determined to safeguard its own and uh, its uh, allies' uh, rights uh, of uh, open and free navigation and passage in the water in these waters. And uh, secondly, uh, the U.S. Uh, could demonstrate that uh, it uh, could uh, mobilize uh, the, its allies uh, to show. The muscles uh, in these uh, waters, and the uh, last uh, is that uh, the United States could uh, warn China that if uh, Beijing continues uh, to adopt uh, the so-called uh, war works of diplomacy, then the United States will mobilize more countries uh, to these waters. For example, uh, Germany and uh, France, yeah, and even. Uh, and uh, and uh, England, yeah. And that was the first part of our interview with 
Professor Edward Yishin Chen, a professor emeritus of Temkang University at the Department of Diplomacy and International Relations. And that's it for this week's Underline, brought to you by Radio Taiwan International. I'm Carlson Wong. Thank you for listening. I'll see you next week. Thank you. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to Radio Taiwan International, broadcasting from Taipei, Taiwan. Check out our website at english.rti.org.tw. Again, that's english.rti.org.tw for the latest news and features from Taiwan. You can also listen to our programs and watch videos as well. Our 60-minute English language program can also be heard every day at the following times and frequencies. In southern China and South Asia from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 9405 kHz. Again, that's in southern China and South Asia from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 9405 kHz. And in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. Again, that's in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. We'd love to hear from you. Please send your comments to P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Again, that's P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Or send an email to rti at rti.org.tw. Again, that's rti at rti.org.tw. Also visit us on Facebook. The address is fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International. Once again, on Facebook, we're located at at fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International for videos, photos, and news of interest from Taiwan. Thank you once again for listening to Radio Taiwan International.